Hello everyone, my name is Whitney Isaac, MLA for Calgary Glenmore. I'm delighted to be your host tonight for this virtual town hall meeting. Tonight, I'm joined by Minister of Education, Adriana Lagrange, and Minister of Advanced Education, Dimitrios Nikolaidis. Before we hear from our speakers, let me start by explaining how a telephone town hall works. Right now, Albertans are answering their phones and connecting to this discussion. We will hear from the Minister shortly. After that, it'll be your turn. You'll have a chance to ask your questions and raise issues that you think are important to education in Alberta. You can get in line to ask a question at any time by pressing star 3 on your phone keypad. You'll then be put through to an operator who will take your question down and put you in the lineup. Here's a few things to keep in mind when you raise your hand to ask a question. When you press star 3 to ask your question, you'll be routed to an operator who will ask to provide your name and community and who you're directing your question toward. Please try to keep your question as brief as possible. There are a lot of people online and we want to try to make sure we get as many of your questions as we can. If you don't feel comfortable asking your question live, you can tell the operator that you'd like to have your question read out. Again, my name is Whitney Isaac and I'm excited to be your moderator for this virtual town hall meeting with Ministers Lagrange and Nicolaides. I'm here to keep this conversation moving smoothly and to make sure we get to hear your opinions and have as much discussion as possible. Before we start getting to your questions, I'd like to invite our speakers to say a few words. Minister LaGrange. Thank you. Good evening and thank you to everyone for taking the time to join us. I'm looking forward to tonight's town hall and to hearing your questions, perspectives and feedback. Before we get into things, I'd like to open the session by sharing how our government is supporting Alberta students, parents and school authorities. Budget 2023 introduced at the end of February, response to the growing needs of our school system as Alberta continues to attract new residents. With this budget, we are securing Alberta's future with historic investments in education. The Department of Education's operating expense is increasing by nearly $2 billion over the next three years. In 2023-24, Alberta will spend about $8.8 billion on education for students in early childhood services to grade 12. This equals $44 million every single day students are in school. Overall, the funding increases in Budget 2023 are enough for school authorities to hire up to 3,000 additional employees over the next three years, including teachers, educational assistants, bus drivers, and school support staff. As class sizes have increased in many parts of the province due to unexpected enrollment increases, we will provide school authorities an additional $820 million over three years specifically to address enrollment growth. We also understand that classrooms have also become more complex, making it more difficult to address each learner's individual needs. With Budget 2023, we have introduced a new Classroom Complexity Grant. This grant is meant to help school authorities increase supports for teachers so that diverse students can receive the focused time and attention they need. <clears throat> For example, this new grant may be used to either hire new educational assistants or increase the hours given to existing educational assistants. It may also be used to hire more teachers or specialists such as counselors, psychologists or interpreters. In total, Budget 2023 provides $1.5 billion in learning support funding which benefits Alberta's most vulnerable students and children with specialized learning needs. 
In 2022, the government committed to providing $110 million over three years for students experiencing both academic and mental health challenges because of the pandemic. In Budget 2023, we added an additional $40 million in 2025-26 to bring the four-year total to $150 million. In addition to funding rising costs for utilities, insurance, and maintenance supplies, we are making significant changes to help school authorities and parents cover the increasing costs of student transportation. We are increasing funding for student transportation by $414 million over three years, which is a 32% increase in the 23-24 school year alone. Along with this funding increase, we are making changes to the distance eligibility criteria so students qualify for, so that more students can qualify for provincial support. And of course, in addition to getting students to school, one of the foremost concerns we all share is providing modern, high-quality learning environments. Budget 2023 invests $2.3 billion over three years in capital infrastructure to increase the number of schools in growing communities, continue work on previously announced schools, and maintain existing schools. This means an increase of 58 new school projects in the 23-24 school year alone, bringing our four-year total to 106 new school projects right across Alberta. $2.3 billion is an increase of about $300 million over last year's capital plan. The government is working hard to be responsive to the needs of Alberta students. Alberta students will continue to receive a world-class education that enriches their lives and prepares them for success. And I know we all share a deep passion for ensuring the best possible education for every single student in Alberta, no matter where they live. And with that, I look forward to taking your questions, and I'll turn it over to Minister Nicolaitis. Well, thank you very much, Adriana, and uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for uh, participating today and for joining our town hall. Um, as Adriana mentioned, my name is Dimitris Nicolaitis. I'm the Minister of Advanced Education. I'm really happy to be here. Um, similar as, uh, as Minister Lagrange, I'll just provide a couple of uh, comments with respect to what's happening in advanced education and then, of course, turn the floor over to all of you because I know Minister Lagrange and I are really excited and interested to uh, hear some of your thoughts, perspectives, uh, feedback, and, and, of course, answer any questions that you may have. Uh, you know, of our, uh, our post-secondary system and our post-secondary institutions, I think as we all know, offer some very unique uh, opportunities to Albertans, whether they're uh, high school students who are just starting on their journeys or adults who are retraining to start new careers uh, or someone looking to, to gain new skills in their current position. And so to help expand these opportunities, uh, my ministry is investing $189 million over three years to support post-secondary institutions across the province by expanding seats in some of the most in-demand programs. Uh, Budget 2023 also makes going to post-secondary uh, more affordable for students uh, and uh, creating seats, as I mentioned, in some of the highest uh, demand programs. With respect to creating additional seats, we're uh, working to help ensure that Albertans are able to participate in programs that, that have um, highest demand. We want to ensure that students are able to um, benefit from our competitive economy and competitive uh, workforce. And as I mentioned, uh, we are investing in Budget 2023, $189 million over three years. And paired with 
what we have announced in last year's budget collectively, we're looking to create uh, thousands of new spaces in some of the most high demand programs. We want to ensure that um, young Albertans are able to access high quality programs uh, right in their very own communities. Uh, we're, and with, through this program, we'll be creating, as I mentioned, thousands of spaces in technology-related programs, healthcare-related programs, energy programs, aviation, and, and a variety of other areas. As well, we're also taking steps to uh, increase, increase the healthcare uh, workforce capacity. Uh, in, in particular, in Budget 2023, we're allocating $72 million for healthcare expansion initiatives. In short, uh, we're looking to graduate more healthcare aides, more nurses, more doctors, so that uh, we can help strengthen and bolster our health workforce. We're also making it easier for internationally educated nurses and doctors to uh, get up to Canadian equivalency uh, a lot faster. So we're providing additional bursaries and creating more spaces at our uh, at bridging programs so these uh, individuals can operate at their full skill level in um, in a faster way uh, in addition we're also um, investing 30 million to uh, expand new seats in nursing healthcare aides uh, and in, in paramedicine and as i mentioned we're investing almost two, uh, 20 million to add 120 new physician training seats at both the University of Calgary and the University of, of uh, Alberta. And ultimately, the, their 10-year plan, which we are uh, funding and which we are working with them, will increase the number of physician seats that we have at our medical schools by 58%. And in turn, these universities are planning to offer physician training programs in, in um, in rural uh, communities as well, so that we can ensure uh, we have more availability of doctors in our rural communities. And lastly, I won't go on for too long here, lastly, with respect to affordability, um, we are working to, uh, we have implemented a series of measures to help students address some of the cost of living challenges that they are experiencing. I think, of course, we're, we're all facing some of those cost of living challenges and, and that, um, and that goes for our students as well. One of the things that um, we have now passed and enacted into law is a flat 2% cap on tuition, effective 2024, 25, and onwards. This is important as it'll give students and families more stability and predictability when it comes to tuition pricing. We're also providing more scholarships, more awards, and more grants to those who need it the most. And we're also making adjustments to student loans uh, to uh, help student loan borrowers uh, repay uh, their loans. As an example, we are decreasing the interest rate on student loans and we are extending the interest-free grace period from six months to 12 months. Um, all of these things combined are, are working to help students combat the uh, high inflationary envir environment that we're experiencing. So I think I'll leave it there. I just want to thank you for, for dialing in today um, and uh, look forward to uh, taking your questions along with Minister LaGrange and um, uh, spending the next little bit talking about education in our incredible province. Thank you very much.
Thank you, Ministers LaGrange and Nicolaitis. For those of you just joining us, my name is Whitney Isaac, MLA for Calgary Glenmore, and I'm your host for this evening's virtual town hall meeting. Joining me today are Minister of Education Adriana LaGrange and Minister of Advanced Education Demetrios Nicolaitis. Tonight we're talking about education in Alberta. If you have a question for any of the speakers, just press star three on your phone now to enter the queue. Now let's get to our first caller for the night. On the line we have Roger from Calgary. Please go ahead with your question. Yeah, ministers, have you considered getting the best videos from around the world and allowing them to go to any students anywhere at home or up in north? If, if these videos have been prepared with outstanding pedagogic features and graphics, that would enhance learning. Thank you, Roger. That's, yes, we are looking at resources and supports for our teachers. Uh, we um, actually built a new platform in Alberta for our teachers and also for our parents and students to access. It's newlearnalberta.ca, uh, where um, it really does uh, provide our, our teachers in particular with um, the curriculum in one location where they can go and then also the resources and supports as well. Um, we would absolutely be looking at this right now. We are working on the K-3 curriculum, as you probably know if you've been following it this year in particular. Uh, we, will be, um, we will be introducing, implementing kindergarten to grade 3 science, as well as the two French language programs in September of 2023. This is after a full year of piloting with approximately about 1,000 teachers and 22,000 students. Um, we last year introduced uh, K-3 mathematics, and English language arts and K-6 phys ed and wellness. So this September we will also be uh, introducing, implementing uh, kindergarten to grade three, or sorry, uh, grades four to six mathematics and four to six uh, English language arts. And part of um, what happens in my department is I have a department of about 500 people. Uh, there is a whole section that's devoted to curriculum and curriculum development. Uh, of that, uh, we also have 150 seconded teachers. So they come for a year or two years right out of the classroom so they can share their expertise, their knowledge, they can work on curriculum, they can work on resourcing, they can help provide supports and professional development. So we utilize all of the expertise that we have. We also go outside of the expertise we have within and uh, also look to other expertise that's out um, outside of Alberta and globally. We want a curriculum that actually um, is... Uh, um, comparable or higher than any standard that's out there, so we do compare it to uh, high-performing jurisdictions, not only in Canada, but also globally. And this year we've dedicated uh, $211 million over three years to um, implement curriculum and provide professional development and resources. We also have schools that uh, locally uh, create courses. So yes, those type of programs can be brought in and utilized. Those type of um, online resources are certainly something we're looking to add into um, the tool chest, <clears throat> pardon me, for, for teachers in general. Minister Nicolaitis, is there anything you'd add? He's, he's saying no. No, nothing from my end. Thanks, Adrienne. I think you covered it. Thank you so much, Ministers. Um, for those of you joining us online, if you have a question, please press star 3 on your phone now to enter the queue. Our next question is from Unsa, and uh, Unsa is from Calgary. Please go ahead, Unsa. 
Hello, good evening, everyone. Thank you for providing this opportunity and having this uh, uh, this, this, this set up there. My question would be uh, with the Minister of Um How does this funding support the chartered school there? Uh, and uh, for example, my one my kid goes to the school and the other kid is still waiting to, since last eight years because it's, she's on a wait list and they keep on saying we don't have enough budget to support and open new buildings because we have not been funded uh, much more or equally as compared to the, to the, uh, to the Board of Education, like the Board of Education schools, like com as compared to public schools there. So I, I do have a, a follow-up and like follow-up would be my my twins, they have got kind of a they need the speech therapist there, or kind of a they because of being twins, they need this language support. And when I contacted the, one of the charter schools, they say we don't know yet if they, we would get enough support or enough budget from 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 the government, and we can then we can and we can promise you yes, they would be getting a language support because it all depends on the budget as as per the government provide. Thank you. Thank you, great question. And uh, we have worked really hard over the last number of years um, to, to really look at providing equity for charter schools across this province. Um, they had stagnated at about 13 charter schools prior to our government taking office. And we made some legislative changes uh, in the Education Act and also through regulation so that we could remove the number of charter schools that could actually open. We are now at 19 charter schools that have opened. Uh, they represent roughly about 1.5% of the population uh, attending school. We have over 730,000 students attending schools in K-12 and they get um, approximately 1.5% of the funding as well. We, we did make sure that they are getting equitable funding, including making sure that they are receiving funding for special needs students. So that has been part of the equity. And another part that, um, that was inequitable before was they were getting a lot of the older schools that other school divisions no longer required, and, and we were renovating those uh, schools and making do. Now we're actually dedicating some space for the first time in a very, very long time. Uh, charter schools are getting dedicated space. We're in the process of uh, putting together a charter hub where there will be at least three, if not possibly even four charter schools together in a building um, specifically made to, to house students. And so we're really looking to provide equitable funding across the province, um, and that will help alleviate some of the weight lifts that are out there. So we're working really hard to, to move that needle in the right direction. Thank you. Thanks so much for that uh, uh, great answer. And we have another question. Uh, Again, if you're just joining us, please press star 3 on your phone now to enter the queue. This question is from Emily online. I heard about this targeted enrollment expansion. What does this mean and how does it help Albertans? This is for Minister Nicolaides. Sure, Emily, uh, thanks so much for the question. Um, the um, the short answer is that the, the targeted enrollment expansion is 
is uh, essentially, you know, as it sounds, what what we've seen are a couple of things. We've seen that there are a number of programs where um, it, it's it's quite difficult to get into. Um, admission rates are quite high. They're very competitive, um, and uh, whether that's nursing or other areas, and and oftentimes qualified students have to be turned away. And in addition, we're also seeing large sectors of our economy where uh, we need uh, more individuals uh, graduating and uh, uh, taking up opportunities in in those careers, uh, whether that's in you know aviation, um, uh, technology uh, related uh, areas, healthcare as well. There's a lot of demand for employees and for workers. So the targeted enrollment expansion program is providing funding to our universities and colleges to create more spaces in some of those highest demand programs. The goal with the program is to ensure that um, more qualified Alberta students can get into the programs that they want to right here in our province. We, we want our best and brightest, of course, to be able to stay right here. Um, in, a, in, our, in our province and in our communities, and that is the objective uh, of the program. We're on track to create uh, approximately 13,000 additional spaces, which uh, officials in my ministry tell me is the largest targeted expansion of seats in, in Alberta history, and we're expanding seats in physician training, nursing, healthcare aid, aviation, uh, tech, um, and in, in so many other areas, so that, again, our students have those opportunities right here at home. Thanks for that, Mr. Nicolais. Again, if you're just joining us, please press star 3 on your phone to enter the queue now for a question. And we have a question from TG, who is online. This is for Minister Lagrange. What is the government doing to increase opportunities for students taking dual credit courses? Great question, and um, we have increased the funding this year by $4 million to, to try and drive more interest, but something that I'm really, really excited about is the Career Education Task Force, because while we have introduced dual credit and RAP and apprenticeship programs and internship programs over the last number of decades, we've never looked at them uh, critically to see are they meeting the needs are we funding them appropriately? Do we have the spaces available? Uh, what's working well? What's not working well? And so I tasked um, this task force to do that, and they have just come back with um, a report that I hope I will be able to share very soon with some very, very good recommendations, and some of the recommendations do involve dual credit and how we can get more students interested in some of these programs that are available. When we look at the fact that uh, we will be short approximately about 30,000 trades alone over the next decade, when we look at the uh, parity of esteem of uh, university degrees uh, as well as um, trades um, certificates and, and tickets, we know that there is more work that we can do in this area. I have had a tremendous group doing um, working on this task force, and I am as I said earlier, really looking forward to bring, bringing forward their recommendations because some of them we will be able to action right away. Others will be a more long-term approach, but uh, they make sense because I just uh, had a, a chance to look at it here recently. Uh, we also have a new program that we're working with um, with various school authorities across the province, which is the collegiate program, where it's really a 
partnership with post-secondaries. It's, it's a, new, a new, unique partnership, and there have been a number of business plans that have come forward, and again, we're just in the stages of assessing those business plans and making some further decisions. So stay tuned. More really, really exciting information in this area to come shortly. Thanks for that. That was a great question from TG and great answer. We next have Stephen from Calgary with a question. Go ahead, Stephen. The question is going to Minister of Advanced Education. Go ahead, Stephen. My question to you, Mr. Minister, is what is the province doing to address the issue of qualified minority students who wish to pursue medical education in our universities who never get into the programs and most of the time they have to go outside the country to go and pursue their education and the hope of coming back to practice here even is more precarious than even going out. So I want to know what the minister is doing so that uh, minority students who are here and are qualified to study medicine will be given the opportunity as other students as usual. Sure, Stephen. Uh, hi, it's Demetrius uh, Nicolaides here. Uh, thanks so much for your question. Uh, it's a really important one. Um, there's, uh, I think I would, I would answer that by saying that there's two things that, that we're doing. Um, first and foremost, we are investing to create more spaces uh, in healthcare-related programs. Uh, we are expanding spaces in healthcare aid programs, nursing programs, uh, physician training programs, and other paramedicine and other areas. So by creating more spaces, uh, more uh, Albertans will be able to apply and be admitted to those programs based on the admission criteria, of course. But if we can create more spaces, we can get uh, more opportunities opened up for more individuals. Um, the second thing that we are doing is um, we're working to help uh, internationally educated nurses and internationally educated doctors. I remember uh, a couple months back, I was at Mount Royal University and I was speaking with a student. Her name was Hannah, and uh, she was uh, she was educated as a nurse in Lebanon, I believe, and um, she had to wait. I think it was about four to five years before she could get into the bridging program at Mount Royal University so that she could bridge her credentials and qualifications to the Canadian equivalency. Um, that shouldn't happen. We shouldn't have individuals who are licensed as nurses and or doctors in other countries uh, having to wait that long to be able to get to a Canadian equivalency. So. We are providing uh, more funding to our post-secondary institutions so that they can create more bridging programs and expand spaces in the programs that already exist so that individuals can attend those programs very quickly, uh, complete the program requirements, and then recertify under the Canadian standards. We, uh, I think we can all agree 
someone shouldn't be waiting for years before they can uh, participate in a program to have their credentials uh, meet Canadian equivalency. So those are the two major things that we are doing uh, to that I, I believe helps address your question. Thank you for that. Next, we have Bonnie from Airdrie. Go ahead, Bonnie. This is for Minister LaGrange. Oh, thank you, Michael. I am just wondering what is being done with the classroom sizes. Right now, we currently in our district have 30 to 31 kids in each class, which is way too, long, too much. Kids aren't getting the proper education. What are we doing about it? Thank you for the question. And uh, yes, uh, we have seen unprecedented growth for the first time in a long time. Uh, when I first started in 2019, uh, we had 711,000 students in K-12. In the following year, it actually dropped through COVID to 705,000, uh, then followed by 716,000. This is uh, currently the first year that we're over 730,000 students. So uh, we are looking to um, address that through a number of ways. Uh, one is the additional funding that we're providing, that growth funding. It's $820 million over three years to hire more staff. Uh, we also added, because it's not just class uh, sizes, but it's also classroom complexity. And I'm hearing that from teachers across the province and administrators across the province, that we are seeing more complex classrooms that have more um, behavioral issues at times within the classroom, other uh, complexities, um, you know, children with different special needs that require additional support. So we've added the additional 126 million over four years to help address that as well so that more educational assistants can be hired, more teachers with specialties can be hired. Again, um, that is something that falls within the purview of school divisions. Uh, when I first started in 2019 as the Minister of Education, our budget was eight point, my budget was $8.223 billion. This current year it's $8.4 billion. Next year it will be $8.8 billion. The following year it will be over $9 billion. We're currently spending about $1.5 billion on our most vulnerable students. But again, we have to look at uh, how our school authorities use, utilizing their dollars. And I, every time I meet with school authorities, and I do, I've met with every single school board across the province here in the fall, and uh, I always stress, make sure that you are providing the supports in the classroom. Uh, and what is, has the greatest impact in the classroom is teachers and educational assistants. And one of my concerns has been the growing number of operating reserves. So we give 98% um, of my whole budget goes directly to school authorities, and they are the ones that hold the contracts with teachers and educational assistants and bus drivers, et cetera. Um, but I have seen school board reserves grow from over $200 million in 2019 to just shy of half a billion dollars in uh, this last school year. And so those dollars, those operating dollars are given to school authorities to spend on today's students. So that's been my message out to school authorities, make sure you're spending it. On the other side of it, we're building more schools. We announced uh, one of the largest number of school builds in, uh, in Alberta history with 58 being announced for the 23-24 school year. Um, that brings our total to 106. The previous government only had 47 school builds over their four years. Uh, modulars is another program that uh, sometimes the school doesn't need a whole new wing. It just needs an additional classroom. Uh, we have um, two, two budgets ago. I added 
Typically, it's about $25 million a year for modulars. That year, I spent, uh, we spent $89 million. Unfortunately, with COVID, we also saw a supply chain issue as well as a labor issue, which delayed getting some of those modulars out the door. But we have caught up, is my understanding. Also, the number of suppliers decreased uh, those that were able to build those modulars. Um, and the, the costs have skyrocketed. It's almost double the cost of an original. Um, a modular classroom used to be about $250 million. You can add an, at least $100 million onto that now. So we are utilizing all of those spaces. We also look to lease spaces if school authorities need to lease a space. But again, um, 98% of all the funding goes directly to the school authorities, and they have to make the decisions that are in the best interests of their schools and in, of their classrooms. Thanks so much. Again, for those of you who have joined uh, our call, please press star three on your phones to enter the queue for the questions. Next, we have Mark from Calgary. This is for Minister Nicolaitis. Go ahead, Mark. Hi, yes. Good evening. Um, I'm wondering about, uh, can we not instill uh, our learning programs for the students that have already picked their career since they were nine years old saying they want to be a nurse? Have their school work geared towards being a nurse so they can cut down on apprenticeship time and college time, you know, like spent at, uh, at post-secondary school. So when they graduate from high school, they're only a year away from their uh, desired uh, Goal, job uh, and goal as like we need fitters and tradespeople and nurses and pilots and everything so like if our education was geared towards them getting their their uh, their certified papers earlier uh, it would it would help us out much uh, oh greatly I guess sorry I didn't quite get that out as best I could but hopefully it, no, you, you, you're all good, Mark. Yeah, no, um, uh, message received. Thank you. No, I, um, um, yeah, I completely understand. And uh, that is indeed something that we are thinking about and that we are looking at. Um, there, there's definitely a desire to increase some of those opportunities. One of the things that I was able to do uh, right away in, in 2019 was to provide more funding to an organization called uh, Careers, um, the Next Generation. This organization provides uh, apprenticeship uh, programming to high school students. And we wanted to expand their capabilities so that they could reach more high schools and they could reach more students across the province and get more students interested into uh, apprenticeship programming earlier on in their high school journey and in their high school uh, career for the reasons that you mentioned. It can uh, help to expedite their, uh, their educational um, journey and pathway. So we have been working with them. Uh, I think I'll, I'll ask uh, Minister LaGrange to, to jump in on this piece as well because uh, she has been doing a lot of work when it comes to expanding dual credit opportunities and, of course, she's also the one in charge of uh, looking at uh, the uh, curriculum um, development. And of course, you know, we've been working on the, on the K-6, um, but um, I'm sure she'll have a few more comments to add in this regard. 
and it really ties into uh, the work that I tasked the Career Education Task Force with looking at how do we provide our young people um, the opportunities, perhaps at a younger age, how do we help them through that process so, as you say, we can get them through school. And if they already know where they want to go, we can help fast-track them so that they have those credentials, or, or many of them, um, when they graduate through from high school. That is something that we're working on. So between the collegiate ideas as well as the um, career, career Education Task Force recommendations, which, as I said, I'm hoping to share very soon. Um, all the work that we've been doing on dual credit, RAP programs, um, apprenticeship, internship programs, those already exist in our schools, but we need to expand the reach. And we need to um, also break down some of the barriers. And, you know, one of the barriers that uh, came to light recently is um, that not all students have the, uh, the WCB that's required when they're on work sites. And so we're looking at how, how can we do that more effectively, more efficiently right across the province. So there's a number of things that are coming forward. Um, this is something that we have been working on uh, quite diligently, and I, I really look forward to sharing it because I think it will make a huge difference for a lot of students. Thanks so much for that. Next, we have Brace. From Lethbridge, this is for Minister Lagrange. Go ahead, Bruce. I think it's Bruce, actually, but that's okay. Um, we're wondering about uh, EA wages, education assistant wages. They um, have a lot of trouble recruiting EAs now, and it seems to be the wages are too low. How is that going to be addressed? Well, um, again, as I said earlier, 98% um, of all the, the funding goes directly to school authorities, and it's actually the school divisions themselves that hold the contracts with uh, the uh, educational assistants or teachers or bus drivers. Uh, we are looking at, um, you know, there is an, an overall compensation framework that school authorities uh, have to adhere to, but it depends on some of, some of these positions of, of the support staff are unionized, others are not. So there's, there's a number of factors, but at the end of the day, it's the school authorities that actually hold those contracts. So it's, um, as a province, we look at uh, when we're negotiating uh, the overall salary increases, uh, but the fine details are left at the school authority. But what we are doing to try and increase the numbers overall we have, um, we know that we graduate roughly 365 educational assistants a year. We're looking to increase that number uh, by adding more spots, as Minister Nicolaides is doing within his um, advanced education portfolio. We also are running a pilot with Edmonton Public School Division where they're going to intern um, educational assistants and they are going to reach out to uh, school authorities um, they're going to pilot just within some rural and urban areas. If the pilot takes off, we'll look to expand that right across the province to increase the numbers of individuals that we can get into that program. But we are aware of the wages and we are looking at what we can do to, to make it uh, more attractive. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Next we have Ignore, uh, who has a question for Minister Nicolaides. Go ahead, Ignore. Hi. Um, thank you for this chance. Actually, my question is, um, I just okay. I just heard everything they said, and I really appreciate that they do so much for like people here. But 
um, what they do for international students. Like, uh, you charge so much from them and, you know, you don't even provide scholarships to them. Like, this is really hard. We come here just to uh, get great education from your country, but we have to pay, like, tons of money for that. Why not domestic students? Sure, Ignore. Thank you so much, um, and um, happy to chat with you today. And thank you for raising the important question about um, uh, tuition costs and, and supports for um, international students. Um, perhaps I'll take the opportunity to talk a little bit about the, the rules and regulations that exist uh, for um, international students. So there, there are some very strict regulations that are in place for international students. Um, when a student, an international student, is sent um, an, uh, an acceptance letter, an admission letter, the university, the college, must also provide that student in that letter details of the full cost of their program. And uh, that, that has to be factored in, that has to be provided to international students upon admission, and there has to be complete clarity about what the total cost of their education will be so that, of course, they can, A, um, agree to accept that offer, and B, have complete clarity over what the costs will be uh, and, and budget and plan uh, accordingly. Um, and also comparatively, I, I don't have the, um, the figures directly in front of me, uh, but I'll try and pull them up if there's a future question. But um, comparatively with other provinces, Alberta's uh, tuition rates, both for international and domestic students, are very, very competitive. In fact, uh, I believe for international students, both graduate and undergraduate, our fees in Alberta are below the national average. And, um, and that, of course, ensures that Alberta can, can remain uh, very competitive. So uh, just to come back to your original question, there are some very strict parameters in place. International students must be given the full cost picture for their uh, program uh, upon admission so that that student has clarity and can plan and budget accordingly. Thanks so much for that. And just a reminder, for those of you with questions, please press star 3 on your phone now to join the queue. The next question is from Lana in Brooks. This is from Minister LaGrange, and it reads, My daughter's school has seen a lot of new kids from other places, many learning English as a new language. How are we supporting these new Albertans in our schools? Thank you, Lana. Great question. And I, I'm so proud of our schools. They do a tremendous job reaching out to new uh, students. Uh, we, by legislation <clears throat> um, and also by policy, it, they're all to provide safe and welcoming and caring school environments. And I know that uh, having traveled the province, that they do that. Uh, beyond that, we make sure that schools have additional funding. So we have additional refugee funding. It's part of that $1.5 billion that um, that we will be spending in September for our most vulnerable students so that there's additional um, supports if they need translations, if they need additional um, educational assistance. 
whatever is required that they can find those supports and resources. Um, we also know that uh, we have had a lot of Ukrainian displaced students come and because we weren't anticipating them, they weren't in our number counts, um, our government provided additional dollars. I think it works out to over $20 million this school year alone. Um, in about June, <clears throat> we had uh, roughly about 800 displaced students. We're now at over 3,900 students. And they do, you know, most are concentrated in Edmonton and Calgary, but we are seeing them right across all of Alberta. And so we all do our part to make sure that they feel welcome. I know school, schools will often have cultural days. They will, they will go out of their way to provide supports, not just for those students, but also to their families and really reach out. They also work with outside agencies that are, um, also have a, a vested interest in helping them. So the support comes from many areas, but at the heart of it is really to make them feel welcome, to help them to learn English, because it is not always an easy language to learn. I know myself, my parents immigrated from Italy in the 50s, and they found it difficult to speak English. So I, I understand the challenges that uh, these students face, and sometimes, um, particularly um, some of the students that are coming from war-torn countries, there are also other um, mental health issues that we need to address. So all of that is looked at, and there's always an attempt to provide holistic wraparound services. Thanks so much for that. Next, we have another question for Minister LaGrange. This is from Mandy in Calgary. She's online. And it reads, there's been a lot of talk about Somali and Filipino language education. Is that something you think that will happen under your government? Absolutely. If there's a desire for it and we have a large population um, that uh, in a particular school or in a particular area, that is something that can uh, happen right now. Uh, we have seen that happen uh, over the years with um, uh, various communities, whether it's uh, the Ukrainian language, German language, Spanish language programs, uh, you name it. Um, I know I had a wonderful conversation just recently with the Consular General of the Philippines to Calgary, um, Mr. Zaldi Patron, and we had a very good conversation about how can we uh, increase the programs that currently exist and how can we also look at um, the opportunities for international teachers to come and teach. We were just talking that we have an influx of students and we uh, will need additional teachers and educational assistants. And so we're in conversation right now as to how we can make that happen more stream in a more streamlined fashion because there are processes that we do have to go through. So yes, I do believe it will happen under our government. Thanks so much for that. And uh, for those of you online and on the phone, please press star three to enter your questions into the queue now. Um, the next question is from Brad in Calgary from Minister Nicolaitis. Go ahead, Brad. Good evening, and I'd like to thank you for taking my call tonight. Firstly, I'd like to applaud the government's uh, recent uh, movement in the Apprenticeship Act with the STAY Act, as well as recognizing parity of esteem uh, with the university credits for many of their skilled building trades. My question comes to the point of receiving funding from the government for education for our apprenticeship programs. 
a lot of times we're seeing that uh, myself, I represent the piping industry training school in Calgary, and we've been denied uh, funding for training the apprentices, even though there is a direct demand for apprenticeship training in that industry and there are gaps that are identified. I'm curious to know if there is a way that we can start bridging these gaps and recognizing some of the smaller institutes that are uh, available to provide the training that is required for Albertans. Uh, sure, Brad. Um, uh, nice to chat with you. Uh, Demetrius Nicolaides here. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to take a closer look at that. Um, um, as you know, we uh, recently created the standalone Ministry of Skilled Trades and Professions. And of course, they're, um, they're now taking the, uh, the lead as it relates to um, apprenticeship training and, uh, and trades uh, training opportunities. So um, I, uh, I'd be very happy to take a look at that, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, Minister Madhu in, in that ministry would be happy to chat in more detail and, uh, and explore that. If I can ask you, Brad, if you want to shoot my office an email, we can, we can get the ball rolling on our end to start having a more uh, in-depth conversation and with officials from the Ministry of Skilled Trades and Professions that we would need to have at the table. So my uh, my email uh, is AE, that's AE for advanced education, dot minister at gov.ab.ca. Um, so, uh, or if you just search um, uh, Alberta Advanced Education, you'll you'll also be able to find that information. So shoot me a note, Brad, and um, I'd I'd happy I'd be happy to get some more details and and loop in my colleagues at Skilled Trades and Professions so that we can explore some of these opportunities together. Thanks for that, Minister. Next, we have Sarah from Lethbridge with a question for Minister Lagrange. Hi. Um, so my question is about um, funding in regards to charter schools and public schools. As someone who was a child in the public school system in California, um, where a charter school program is in place, I saw firsthand how funding was lacking and very little went to the public school system. Um, I was like in third to sixth grade and our art and PE programs were cut while I was there. So my question is what will be done to ensure that this same issue won't happen in Alberta? Because I mean, it's great to hear 1.5% of the funding is going to charter schools, but what is going to be done to ensure that it won't irrationally increase over the years or that charter schools in the future will, will receive prioritization over public schools? Well, we're blessed in Alberta to have choice in education. I was proud to be the Minister of Education that brought forward choice in education. It was something we heard overwhelmingly from parents that they wanted choice. Uh, charter schools in Alberta are not like charter schools in the United States. They, you know, they're research focused with um, a tie to a post-secondary where they are um, working under a different pedagogy and then that knowledge and that experience that they're getting is meant to help the public school system. Currently, as I said, 1.5% of the population attend a charter school. They get 1.5% of the funding. You'll find it interesting to note that 91% of uh, students in the province, 91.3, I believe it is, 1% attend a public school, but they get 94% of the funding. And then in uh, independent schools, 
there's roughly about 6.8% of the students attending an independent school and they just get over 4% of the funding because they um, are only receiving 70% funding and, and nothing for um, capital infrastructure. And then home education gets a, a more modest amount as well because they do not have the infrastructure nor do they have the staffing levels that are required in um, brick and mortar schools. So we look very closely. Um, they're all our charter schools here in Alberta are public schools. And so they are treated equitably across the province. And they do provide, um, as I said, a resource and a choice for parents who are looking for something that perhaps they're not finding in a different type of school. We know that um, it is something that uh, people are asking for. So we are, again, um, even in, on the infrastructure side, charter schools are getting a very, very small percentage of the overall funding that is going to the public system in terms of building new schools. And in fact, right now, uh, there is not a charter school that is in a building that's uh, newer than, I believe, uh, 1950, 1950s, 1960s. So, we are looking to make sure that we provide equitable fund funding. Every person in Alberta is a taxpayer, and we want to make sure that that's equitable right across the province. Thanks very much for that. Next, we're going to go to uh, Adrian in Calgary for, with another question for Minister LaGrange. Go ahead, Adrian. Uh, was this Adrian from Cochrane? Sorry, you're, that's right. From Cochrane. Okay. Go ahead, Adrian. Thanks. <laughs> just wanted to make sure. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, my question is in regards to the total cost to build a new school, as well as the timeline involved. And I'm asking in regards to living in a faster-growing community in Alberta, uh, you know, being a part of Rocky View School Division, communities such as Cochrane and Airdrie and Chestermere, are all very, very fast-growing communities, and we're looking at being about 100 to 126% capacity within the next two to five years. Um, my question is, how much total budget is allocated for this, and what is the timeline involved? The new developments in our community, they're advertising you know, new school sites. However, this requires provincial approval. Um, and I'm just wondering, are you working with municipal governments on this? But we really are uh, in a crisis in some of these fast-growing communities. Thank you. Great question. And uh, part of the what you would have seen announced this um, this year for our capital infrastructure, Rocky View received four new schools <clears throat> projects, and they're at varying stages: pre-planning, planning, planning uh, design, and construction are the four areas that we have uh, categories in. But our, the focus that we have is really to look at how can we speed up building some of the schools because typically in the past we only had design and construction funding and we thought we would go in, we'd announce school, in fact I've announced schools in 2019 that are still in the process of being planned because we have found that the site isn't, uh, when the geotechnical was done, that there was something that was in the site that um, caused us to have to look at it again or do some mitigation. So there's a number of factors. We want to make sure that we build them as quickly as possible. And so therefore, uh, Rocky View right now has four new schools in, uh, that were announced 
and plus two previous capital infrastructure projects that were announced. Um, and I believe all total they will create over 7,000 student spaces. I believe that's the number. And uh, when we look at what a school costs, I can't tell you an exact amount that we've budgeted for every single school because that could affect the, um, the negotiations and the bidding that companies will do when they bid on a new school. But I can tell you roughly an elementary school roughly costs us about $35 million. A middle school, we're getting into the $50 million to $60 million, depending on the size, the number of students in it. And we're looking well over $80 million right now for for um, high schools, um, and again, dependent on the number of students. Um, with the focus on doing pre-planning, planning, and design, we can actually see projects go to construction very quickly. It takes roughly about uh, 20, 18 to 24 months to build a school if we're ready to put shovels in the ground uh, for an elementary, and a middle to high school takes sometimes uh, six months um, longer, six months to a year longer, dependent. Again, if we can eliminate a lot of the barriers that we see, making sure we have good uh, ground sites, uh, that um, all of the um, issues have been mitigated, that we've done the engagement with the community, and front end all of that work. Um, I'm hopeful, as I've said, I met with um, the board uh, of Rocky View here recently, that even those ones that are in pre-planning, planning, and design that if all that work can be done very quickly within this next year, that all four of those projects could possibly go to construction next year. So uh, as well, we are um, addressing uh, high growth areas with modulars, as I indicated earlier. So modulars are something that can be moved. They are also, we've um, included new modulars on the list, and I, I believe that uh, if I remember correctly, Rocky View has received nine for this upcoming year but um, on top of the numbers that they've received in the previous years as well. So great question, and we are looking to address those high growth areas as quickly as possible. And I also did speak to all the mayors in the community, so they're on side to help us make sure that the municipalities have chosen good site locations that are ready to go as quickly as possible. Thanks so much for that, Minister. Next, we're going to go to a question from Cade in High River, and this is from Minister Nicolaides. Oh. Go ahead, Cade. All right, we may have lost Cade, but you know, um, I think we've got an online written piece from him, and so I'm going to uh, just read this out. Uh, what is your government doing to make sure students in rural Alberta can access the same programming as those can in the city? How can they uh, access the same programming in their local communities? Sure, thanks for the question. Um, sorry, Kate uh, had to drop off. Hopefully a friend or a neighbor or a colleague is listening and can uh, give her the answer, but I'm sure that there may be other callers on the line as well who maybe have a similar question. Um, so this is, uh, of course, particularly important. Um, we have to make sure um, that um, we have programming available in all corners and all parts of our, our incredible province. Um, having people from, you know, High River or Nanton or other areas uh, go all the way up to Calgary or, or other centers to be able to access post-secondary programming is not, not feasible, not practical. So there's, there's a couple of things that we're doing. So first and foremost, you may have heard me talk a little bit tonight about uh, targeted enrollment. So as I mentioned, we are 
creating um, over 10,000 spaces in some of the most in-demand uh, programs at our universities and colleges. And these uh, so many programs that uh, we have expanded include programs at uh, community colleges like uh, Lethbridge College, Medicine Hat College, Bull Valley College, which uh, and and each one of these colleges has a uh, a geographic stewardship area, and they're responsible for providing programming to a defined geographic area. So we've worked with those colleges to see which which programs are, are highest in demand and, again, where, where are we turning away qualified applicants, and we've been able to increase spaces in those, in those programs. One of the other things that uh, we are doing is um, encouraging our colleges to uh, cooperate and collaborate with our universities to get uh, degree programs out to... Uh, other communities. Um, as an example, the University of Calgary has partnered uh, with, um, uh, with in, and is delivering, I should say, um, a nursing programming in, in Wainwright. And there are many other types of partnerships like this that exist where the University of Calgary or the University of Alberta enter into a partnership with a specific community or a specific regional college to make sure that a degree program, whatever the community needs and is looking for, um, is, is available in their community. So we, of course, continue to encourage that type of collaboration, and uh, we're taking steps to increase directly spaces in some of the most in-demand programs at those local regional colleges. Thanks so much for that. For those of you online who still have questions, I'm just going to remind you once more to press star 3 on your phones now. And uh, next we have a question from Lisa in Calgary. This is for Minister LaGrange. What are you doing to address safety in schools specifically around bullying, gangs, and weapons? Thanks, Lisa. It's a very serious uh, question that needs to be asked and addressed. Um, I know our school authorities, uh, through policy and procedures, have um, you know safe and caring school policies, anti-bullying policies, et cetera. But at the heart of it, it really is relationships. And so we are trying to provide as many uh, resources and build capacity within our our school system, whether it's administrators, teachers, educational assistants, bus drivers, um, even the front end staff, to to understand what. Um, they need to know to, to help in these areas uh, through, on a provincial basis, we're looking at curriculum, what can be added into the curriculum to deal with racism and bullying and to provide a knowledge base for students. Uh, we, for the first time ever in Alberta's history, we have consent built into the curriculum from kindergarten to grade six, and it will be included in upper grades. So again, children will learn boundaries, healthy boundaries, and what to do when, when you're faced with, with situations that are unhealthy. So again, through policy, through um, professional development, through local school boards addressing their local issues, and at times, um, you know, some school divisions have school resource officers, others use different uh, supports and resources that are in the community. There's many different ways, and um, we have local autonomy so that they can address it, uh, school divisions can address it in their schools in a way that makes sense uh, for them. 
Thanks so very much for that important question and answer. Next, we have a question from online from Liana. This is from Minister Nicolaides. I saw a few things in the news about the aviation industry growing in Alberta. What's our government doing to support this industry? Sure, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, there's some uh, really um, exciting things that are happening with uh, with aviation in the province. Um, you'll, you'll have to excuse me, a, a whole bunch of puns are just running through my head that I'm going to try and avoid. Um, but indeed, the aviation industry is, is taking off. Um, you know, one of one of the things that's uh, that's helping this is, uh, you know, West, uh, the government of Alberta and WestJet signed uh, recently um, uh, an MOU. And... Um, uh, a part of this MOU, uh, uh, Calgary will become WestJet's main uh, transfer uh, hub. So if, you'll, if you're ever transferring on a flight through WestJet's network, that'll happen through Calgary. And in addition, their entire 787 Dreamliner fleet will be, will be based in Calgary. Uh, De Havilland is building a new aircraft manufacturing center in, in Wheatland County. Uh, so the um, the uh, the aviation industry is indeed growing. So we're uh, we're stepping up to the plate to help support this um, uh, this uh, this industry. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of things that we're doing. One of the things that we're doing is we're providing funding to uh, Mount Royal University to establish a Bachelor of Aviation Management. Um, there, there are, of course, um, a variety of aviation-related programs that exist, not just within Alberta, but nationally. But there are a, a tiny handful of bachelor-level programs. So by funding this program, we will be able to have a strong spotlight in Alberta as a destination for aviation uh, training. In addition, we've also invested a, a half a million to explore the development of an aviation center of excellence. Uh, and in addition, we have announced uh, four and a half million to create a new bursary specifically for aviation students, for students looking to get involved into the aviation um, sector so there's uh, it, it's really exciting um, and uh, there's there's uh, indeed these measures that the province is implementing to help support this uh, exciting new industry uh, I think uh, Minister Lagrange is waving at me I think she wants to jump in so I'll, I'll pass it over to her I do because there's some exciting things going on in uh, schools across Alberta there's a number of schools that do have aviation programs and one is Eagle Butte High School and they recently became the first high school in all of Canada and could be even further that built their own airplane. So exciting things happening. Again, we can help at a younger age when we talk about dual credit and hands-on learning and uh, getting their, um, their flight uh, ticket a little bit sooner. We can do it in uh, junior high, high school by providing them that pre-training a little bit earlier. So it is happening in our K-12 system too. That's fantastic news, and that was a great question. Next, we have a question for Minister Lagrange from Aminat uh, in Calgary. Go ahead, Aminat. Uh, um, good evening. So, my question is about um, children going to Islam. I mean, faith-based schools. What is the support you're giving in terms of transportation? Because it's been a burden on the parents. 
that's my question. Thank you. So you need to just expand a little bit more. Faith-based schools, are they, um, are they Catholic schools? Are they independent schools, faith-based schools? Um, I just need a little clarity there. Because with well, the, the new... Trans- Sorry. Hello? Sorry, Aminat, can you just repeat your, what you, your last piece of your question? So my question is about um, what's of, what are you giving, the grants you're giving to faith-based schools like my kids, they attend Islamic faith schools. In terms of transportation, it's been a burden on the parents because the path you're paying is very expensive. Is there any support or grant you're going to give to them in terms of transportation, like support? So thanks for the question. I, I, I think I know where you're going with this. Um, they're faith-based independent schools. So faith-based independent schools and uh, alternative programs <clears throat> that exist within the education public education system uh, will have uh, transportation funding starting in the 23-24 school year. So in this September, there's additional funding. It's all part of the transportation um, reform that we just did. It is probably the most significant changes to transportation that has occurred in decades. I used to be a school board trustee for 11 and a half years, and I know transportation has always been an issue. So when I became the minister, I put together a student transportation task force that made a number of recommendations, and we've incorporated these recommendations, which really is, again, providing equity across the system for, for uh, transportation um, and for schools of choice, which include alternative programs, independent schools as well. So for the first time ever now, we know that it's going to take some time for some school authorities to um, be able to accommodate more students because we also changed the eligibility in terms of how far um, it used to be 2.4 kilometers come September. It'll be um, September of 2024. We're giving school authorities some time to adjust to this transition. Uh, September of 2024, it'll be one kilometer for kindergarten to grade six and uh, two kilometers for kindergarten, or sorry, for grade seven to 12. So those, we've adjusted the, the distance eligibility as well as how we calculate that. We used to calculate it as the crow flies currently. Um, so, you know, sometimes I've heard from parents saying, my child has to cross a busy street. There is a ravine, it's not a well-lit path, and yet that is calculated into how we calculate the distance currently in um, September of 2024, but it can start here um, this year for those school authorities that are able to get up and running in September of 2023. We will calculate that by the quickest drive distance. And so there's a number of changes. Um, as I said, 32% increase in funding in uh, this school year alone. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, so many changes to come. <coughs> Thanks so much for that great question. That's such an important issue. Next, we have Bruce from Lethbridge with a question for Minister Nicolaitis. Go ahead, Bruce. Uh, hello, Minister. I'm phoning from Lethbridge. Uh, when do you think we'll build a medical school in Lethbridge? I think it's overdue. This would be a great city for it. Sure, Bruce. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for the question. Um, you know, we, uh, we we've been actually talking with uh, with the University of Lethbridge and uh, our our two current medical schools um, uh, about expanding access to uh, to um, healthcare related programming, and um, 
one of the things that we're moving forward on uh, at the moment is the development of a regional health training center. So uh, back in uh, early in the year, in, in late January, I, uh, I announced a new funding uh, to uh, support the University of Calgary, the University of Alberta, the University of Lethbridge, and Northwestern Polytechnic in Grand Prairie to explore in more detail the concept of creating new regional health training centers. So uh, I, I'm, I'm curious for that, that work to be concluded and, um, and, and get more information from those four partners. I think they're, uh, they're certainly the experts, those four institutions, when, when it comes to, um, to doctor training and medical training, and I would be happy to defer to, to their expertise. So I'm, I'm eager to see the uh, conclusion of, the, of these uh, preliminary first steps so that um, we, can, we can better explore those opportunities. You know, the, the University of Lethbridge currently, of course, offers a, a Bachelor of Nursing uh, program and in cooperation with Lethbridge College, um, other healthcare-related programs, including um, healthcare aid and LPN, uh, are available as well. Uh, but uh, happy to, uh, you know, we're having that conversation and, and we're looking through the, the Regional Health Training Center as to uh, how we can train more individuals in their respective communities. You know, some of the uh, data and information that uh, ministry officials have been able to to demonstrate and, and show and provide, which I think also is, is makes a lot of common sense, is that if individuals can be trained and educated in their communities, it, it increases the the likelihood and the prospect that they'll they'll stay in practice in their communities. And I think that that's true, not just of healthcare-related programming, but but also of other uh, opportunities. So that's why we're looking at the regional health training center. And again, we've we've given some seed money to begin exploring the, that concept, and um, uh, happy to report back in the future about uh, about potential next steps. Thanks so much for that. Next, uh, we I just want to remind you one more time, star three, if you have any other questions for these ministers. Again, we have Minister Nicolaides and Mr. Lagrange talking about education tonight. Uh, Next, we have Stephanie from Foothills County for Minister LaGrange. Go ahead, Stephanie. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question with regards to the funding that goes directly to the school division. Um, we, I understand that um, there's a significant amount of money that's given to school divisions and that it is the responsibility of school divisions to um, use these resources for students in classrooms and to pay for um, teachers and educational assistants, et cetera. But I'm just wondering, what are we doing to decrease the cost for school divisions? Um, for example, our school division had an increase over the last few years of over 300% insurance, and there are just so many growing costs that they only have an option to take those dollars away from classrooms. So what are we doing to lower the cost of these types of, of, uh, of things for school divisions so that they can actually use their funding 
for classroom teachers and EAs and resources for kids? Um, thanks, Stephanie. Great question. Um, in fact, uh, that's something we've been dealing with for a number of years. Um, the rural um, school divisions were in a consortia where they were finding it difficult to get insurance companies to actually cover them. So they came to uh, to us as government to, to look at what the options were available. And uh, I enlisted Treasury Board because they have um, some insurance experts to see what can we do? Can we look at self-insurance? Can we look at other alternatives? And so they explored all of those uh, possibilities. We had had a number of school authorities that had significant losses over the years, um, whether it was the Fort McMurray fires, uh, the Slaves Lake uh, fires, um, there was some flooding that has occurred, et cetera. And so we looked at all of those, and we stood up a company, or um, a, a group, I should say, it's not a company, it's a, an amalgamation of, of these school authorities that's called ARMIC right now, and very much to lower the cost so that uh, no one school division is having to bear um, the higher costs that are, are happening. In fact, uh, because we knew that uh, insurance and other utilities um, and supplies have gone up so dramatically over the last number of years in this budget, this upcoming budget, <clears throat> pardon me, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat, this upcoming budget, we've allocated an additional $80 million um, over three years. Um, and we, what, how we got to those numbers is we worked with the school authorities directly and looked at actual costs and made sure that we've, we uh, reflected that in the formulas that are being used to allocate those funds so that no dollars are coming out of the classroom, that what we give to school authorities for operations and maintenance and for these costs for utilities, insurance, et cetera, are reflective of real costs. Uh, the other piece that I would say is that we're also, there's a handful of school authorities because of severe losses that are still having higher than anticipated costs and what we're doing is we're actually backstopping them. And that means that we're actually providing additional dollars to make sure that they're not uh, severely disadvantaged in proportion to other school authorities. So we are looking very closely. If a school division has an issue, they do come to my department, and I have a finance department that um, works to make sure that we help resolve those issues. Thanks so much for that. Um, Next, we have a question for Minister Nicolaides. This is from Mike, and it reads, why did you cut post-secondary education funding to institutions operating grant, and now instead you're only making targeted investments? Sure, Mike, uh, thanks for the question. Um, obviously, uh, four years ago when uh, we, um, uh, when we were elected, uh, one of the um, uh, tasks in front of us was to uh, get the, provin uh, the province's finances in order. And of course, that, that required um, uh, many, uh, if not all, departments uh, and, uh, and government um, ministries to, to take a look at um, their, their, their finances. And uh, you may recall in 2019, we commissioned uh, the uh, McKinnon panel report on the state of Alberta's uh, finances. And one of the things that we saw in that report and through other analysis was that 
post-secondary institutions in Alberta received a uh, disproportionately higher level of funding in comparison to other provinces and to other universities. Uh, in fact, when we looked at funding levels um, uh, from 2017-18 uh, and, and previous years, across the U15, that's the top 15 universities uh, in uh, research universities in Canada, the two highest funded institutions were, were the, uh, the two universities in, uh, or excuse me, University of Alberta and the University of Calgary. Uh, and, and by significant margins, I, I believe the average funding level across the U15 at that time was, was approximately uh, $12,000 per student in provincial operating funding and, and rates at the uh, University of Calgary and the University of Alberta were, were much higher. So, so we've had to uh, make some corrections. Our post-secondary institutions today are funded at levels that are very, very comparable uh, to uh, other institutions and to the national average. Um, you know, in, in fact, uh, as of uh, 2020, 2021 data, it's the most recently available data, per student operating funding across the U15 was uh, 10,265 and the U of A was at 13,950 and the U of C was at 13,438. Uh, so, so again, we, we had to uh, undertake some work to ensure funding was, was in alignment with, with other provinces. To answer the second part of your question, why are we now uh, reinvesting in only uh, specific programs? Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are a number of programs where we, con we continue to turn away qualified applicants and that are high in demand, in demand both by students in terms of application numbers and in demand by the economy, uh, in demand by employers. Uh, we mentioned earlier about the growth in the aviation sector and in other areas, and there is an urgent need to, uh, uh, for, for um, highly skilled labor. So looking at uh, both of those pieces, uh, we've made uh, targeted investment in those particular programs so that A, young Albertans can get into the programs that they want right here at home, and B, we can uh, meet the needs of our uh, rapidly growing economy. Uh, so those are, um, those are the primary reasons behind those individual programs. That's fantastic. Thank you. Next, we have uh, a question from Kimberly from Calgary uh, for Minister LaGrange, and it reads, can you ensure your funding is properly used for students with IPP programs? Thanks, Kimberly, for the question. IPP programs, individualized program plans, are something that is put in place when a child requires additional support and um, actually my, my training is uh, as a rehab practitioner, so I worked with the developmentally disabled all my life and understand um, you know, individualized program plans and how important they are to the overall well-being of a student. We want to do early intervention. We want to make sure that the supports are targeted for students that require them. As far as can I ensure that um, the funding goes to where it's required, those decisions, uh, are made by the local school authorities, by the um, school board, by the administration, um, and often by the principal and the teachers within that school. 98, as I said before, 98% of all the funding in, in K-12 education goes directly to the school authorities. How I try and target that funding is through targeted grants 
so such as the learning loss funding. Um, school authorities um, would prefer that it is a per student funding and that they have maximum flexibility. On the learning loss funding, what we did um, last year was provide $45 million to school authorities on assessed students. So the students had to be assessed. We found out how many students required additional supports. We were able to identify what those costs would look like, and then we targeted the supports so that we knew that uh, those um, that you know, when we gave the funding to the school authorities, that they had to actually use those dollars to provide intervention, and then they had to report back. And there's always the fine balance of making sure that we don't ask for too much reporting, but on the other side, we want to make sure that the dollars are going where they need to go. As I said, we're going to be at, um, we're currently at $1.4 billion. We will be at $1.5 billion in September for our most vulnerable students. We want to make sure that gets to where it needs to go. So we are implementing um, a little bit more reporting so that we can actually see where those dollars are going for the specialized learning support funding and also for uh, reporting on the number of, of teachers and educational assistants that will be hired so that we can track where those positions are going. Thank you so much for that. And for our last question of the evening, we this is for Minister Nicolaitis. We, this is from Jeremy. What are you doing to lower admission requirements for students? It's crazy how you can only get into nursing with an average of 95% or higher. Sure, Jeremy, uh, thanks for the question. Um, of course, uh, you know, individual universities and colleges set their own admission rates. It's not something that's, that's particularly set by, uh, by the province. Um, but of course, uh, admission rates uh, become more and more competitive when the when uh, uh, demand is, is higher than supply. Of course, when when there's many more students enrolling and and uh, there there's limited spaces. So one of the things that uh, we are doing is uh, we, we are investing um, hundreds of millions of dollars to expand capacity um, in some of the most in-demand programs that are universities and colleges. Um, a lot of that is, is going towards um, medical programming, including uh, n uh, nurse programs. In fact, in, in budget 2023 alone, we're investing uh, $30 million to create 1,800 new spaces in health-related programs like nursing, paramedicine, and other areas. And that's on top of larger investments that were made in budget 2022. So uh, with that investment, of course, the universities can, um, you know, hire additional faculty and uh, ex expand capacity in their programs and create more spaces. And if we're able to create more spaces, uh, we, uh, we should be able to see those, those admission rates come down as, as there are more opportunities available and, uh, and hopefully we won't have to turn away qualified um, students, because we we want to ensure that um, you know, as I mentioned before, that uh, the best and the brightest and all young Albertans are taking advantage of the incredible post-secondary opportunities we have right here at home and uh, staying here, staying close to home, and then of course contributing to building a better province in the future. So thank you for that important question. Well, thank you so much. There have been so many incredible questions tonight and great conversation. And I just uh, would like to invite uh, Minister Nicolaides to make some closing comments and then Minister LaGrange. Sure. Uh, well, uh, thank you to everyone who participated. Thank you for all your questions. Um, 
it's uh, an honor and privilege to have the opportunity to answer some of your questions, provide more information. Um, I, I provided my email earlier, but I'll, I'll do it again. If you have any follow-up questions or we weren't able to get to you in the queue, uh, just shoot me a note. Uh, my email is AE for Advanced Education, AE.minister at gov.ab.ca. Um, wish you all the very best. Um, have a great evening, and Minister LaGrange, over to you. Thank you so much, and I echo um, what my colleague has said. It's been a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. If you have more questions, happy to answer them. Please reach out to my department. You can find my email address, and I know many of you have contacted us. We have an amazing education system in Alberta, and I am committed as our is my whole department um, to, to making it even better. And uh, as a mother of seven and a grandmother of soon-to-be-eight grandbabies, I am so thrilled that uh, we can continue to have a wonderful education system that has choice for whatever people are looking for in this province. So thank you again. Please reach out and continue to reach out and have a wonderful evening. Thank you, ministers, for organizing this town hall, and thank you to all of the people who chose to spend the last 90 minutes listening and asking fantastic questions. Thank you, and good night.